Well, we started this series in the book of Romans back on September 15th, 2019. Do you remember that? Seems like forever ago, doesn't it? A lot has happened in our nation and in our world since then. And uh, the theme, the name of the message was God's marvelous plan for man. God's marvelous plan for man. And uh, today we are concluding our series with the title, Fulfilling God's Marvelous Plan for Man. See, here's the truth of it. God has given us this marvelous plan of salvation, and it is a wonderful thing. There's nothing that compares with it anywhere. It is the heartbeat of our church, the gospel, of the foundation of that message. And to be able to share that with the world is the greatest thing we could ever do. And so God wants us to not only know the marvelous plan for man, but to live out, to live out that marvelous plan that he has given. Now we're going to pick up in verse 16, and it says in Romans, uh, or excuse me, Romans 16, verse 19, it says, for your obedience, Paul continuing to talk to the Roman church here, for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Simple concerning evil. In other words, innocent concerning evil. There was something that came up, it was either yesterday or Friday, and you see these terms oftentimes in the news, and I I said to my wife, I said, I don't even know what that is. I'm glad I don't even know what that is, what that has to do with. And that's the way God wants us to be on certain things, okay? Things of immoral nature and so forth. Folks, wrong is wrong. We can just leave it at that, right? You don't have to go into all the detail and all the, all the gory things. I think sometimes it's an excuse of people just to indulge their flesh and going further into understanding things in detail. No, it's, if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's immoral, it's immoral. If it's evil, it's evil. Now, Something I did not get in my earlier studies in the book of Romans that I got this time through, this third time through, was this. Rome was a good church. The church at Rome was a good church. You, you don't find much in the book of Romans where he's, Paul is rebuking this church for things. What you find is you find a lot of uh, positive things towards them, sharing with them the gospel, sharing with them the truth of God, the deeper things of God, and all the wonderful truth that we find in Romans. But what you don't find is you don't find a lot of rebuke, such as what you find in 1 Corinthians. Now, it's interesting because Paul was in Corinth when he wrote Romans. I don't know if it was a comparison thing or what, but um, what made the church at Rome such a good church? Now, I want you to listen carefully today. This affects us here at Northland, all right? If you were to just boil things down, I like things in simple terms, clear-cut clarity, okay? That's how I, I like that. Things that are clear, things that are easy to understand. And if you were to boil it down, what made the church at Rome, and when I say the church at Rome, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church now, okay? We are talking about the true believers, first century, who lived in Rome, okay? These people had trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Savior, not in the church, in Jesus Christ and what he did for them on the cross. So what made the church at Rome such a good church? Well, you find it in verse 19, obedience. Simply put, 
they were obedient, okay? This is simple and yet far-reaching in accomplishing the work of God because it strips away all the fluff and all the show and all the razzle-dazzle, and it gets right to the point. We came here in 1981 to St. Cloud, and we have seen over the years a lot of churches come and go. A lot of churches. New one comes. They, they, they got all the glitzy advertising and all the postcards in your mail and, and this thing and, and that thing. And, and then you start hearing about them. Well, you know, the, boy, that one church out there. You know that new church out there? Man alive, they're just, they're just packing them out. They've got all these people coming and, and all, these, all of this stuff going on. And then a few years later, you, where are they? They're gone. That church is gone. As a matter of fact, I had a, a good friend who had been in the... Uh, Christian bookstore business here locally. And uh, he came by, and I hadn't seen him in years. He came by and visited here a few months ago. And he said, and by the way, we give all glory to God on this, okay? All glory to God. But he said, you know, how long have you been here? And I told him, he said, that is amazing. That is amazing. Because he, having had a Christian bookstore, saw a lot of churches come in, pastor and his wife, they're very enthusiastic. They start the church, they're all pumped up and all this. And then a couple years later, they're gone. They leave the area. Okay. St. Cloud area is saturated with churches. It's saturated. Okay. I want you to know that. What is the issue? Well, the issue is steadfastness and obedience to the word of God. That's the issue. The issue is not being trendy. The issue is not being cool. Okay. It's not light shows. It's not it's not fog machines and all this stuff, okay? It's not having a, a uh, where people leave, what they remember most about the service is the band. Now, I'm sorry, folks, if that offends somebody or maybe somebody watching or listening down the road on the radio, but folks, the longevity and the quality of a church is an issue of obedience to the word of God. It's not complicated. That is what it comes to. That is what it comes down to. And so let's get right to the point and accept the Bible as it is, believe the Bible as it is, and obey the Bible as it is as the saints, as the church of God. This is what it's about. And this is where the blessing of God is. Is it explosive? Usually no, but you know, it's steady and it's, uh, it's a life transforming. Souls get saved. People go into the ministry. People have good Christian homes. You know what? And that is, uh, that's wonderful. Verse 20. And you notice what follows obedience. It says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Okay, the God of peace. God is the one who gives peace. Satan will never give peace. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, verse 20 could refer to them experiencing victory in the near future by doing what is right. And that is true. As we serve the Lord faithfully as believers, Satan gets defeated in our lives. Satan gets defeated as as issues come up. Jesus wins the victory in those things. But I also think there's a bigger picture here. Simply put, as believers, folks, understand this. If you've trusted Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, you are on the winning side. Okay? Jesus wins. The devil loses. End of story. That's the way it goes. 
and it's already been pre-written, and we know what's going to take place, and so it's only a matter of time. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, you need to trust in him because he's the only way. Otherwise, you are going to be a target of the devil himself. Revelation 20 makes it very clear that Satan's days are numbered. Yes, I know, biblically speaking, it's over a thousand years away. But let's remember that with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand. It's nothing with God because he's in eternity. He doesn't see time like we see time. We are, we are captive of time. God lives outside of it. He lives in eternity. And so it's, it's just a blink for him. And the devil has been defeated, just a matter of time before he gets his final sentence, so to speak. And by the way, next week, next week, we start a series, I don't know how many weeks it'll go, having to do with the road ahead. It is a prophetic series. We're just going to, now a lot of the information you'll already know, I am not going to get heavy into interpreting every little thing that's happening on the global scene as a fulfillment of this verse in a certain passage and all that. There will be a little of that, but not much of that. We are just, I'm just, my job is to show you the truth, to warn you of what's coming, to show you how to escape it, and to let you know and be encouraged and be reminded the future is bright for the child of God, okay? The future is bright. You might say, oh, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this in the world, and I'm scared about this and, and all that. Listen, I understand that. We're human beings, okay? We have enjoyed our entire lives. We've enjoyed comfort. We've enjoyed prosperity in America. And yes, we don't know what the future holds for this country, but we do know what the future holds for the children of God. And it's a greater country. We're going to be with the Lord forever. So we're going to start that next week. It should be an exciting series. And so as we continue on here in Romans 16, uh, we see the final names mentioned of fruitful Christians. Fruitful Christians. These were obedient Christians. These are people that even though there may, some of these, this may be the only place their name is mentioned in Scripture. These were friends of the Apostle Paul. And imagine having your name in the Word of God for all eternity as somebody who was a faithful believer. That'd be an honor. Wouldn't that be an honor? I'd be honored to have my name written there. It says in verse 21, Timotheus, my fellow worker, which is Timothy, by the way, and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, in other words, he wrote it down for Paul, is what it's saying, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Cordus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You notice in verse 23, it says, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city. You see, the Lord's work through faithfulness, the Lord's work was reaching even into the city government of Corinth. Now, this is a very important thing for us to remember. Erastus was the equivalent of a mayor. Isn't it funny how sometimes we fail to see politicians as normal people who have the same needs as we do? But they do. 
They need the gospel. They need our prayers. They need our encouragement. Let me tell you something, friends. We are blessed in St. Cloud to have Mayor Dave Kleiss as our mayor. Now, I know there are people running against him. I don't know anything about them, but I can tell you this. I know Mayor Kleiss personally. He's a friend of this church. He's a friend of all churches, by the way. He's a friend of Christian education. He's a constitutionalist. And you ought to count your blessings that we have a mayor in St. Cloud who's that way. They have the same needs as we do, and we need to be faithful in sharing the gospel with them. Verse 25, now to him that is of, and it's talking to the Lord, about the Lord, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Let's just stop there. There's a lot of words in there. We want to kind of dismantle this a little bit, okay? The revelation of the mystery is the revealing that the Jews and the Gentiles would make up one body, the church. It is the mystery of the church age, okay? That Jews and Gentiles would come together, make up one body called the church. Why is it called a mystery? Okay, a mystery is not God trying to make something hard on this that we can't figure out. A mystery, biblically speaking, is simply a Bible truth that is not revealed until a certain time. That is a mystery. The church age was that way. This was the plan of God for the age in which we live. Now notice it is through the gospel of grace that we are established. And this has both a positional application and also a practical one, which I'll get to in a little bit here. But understand this, friends. We live in this thing called the church age. The church age, the church, was not talked about at all in the Old Testament. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, it was only a few times referred to, but never amplified on, never really talked about in detail. That did not come until the church was born in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then from that point forward, the church started getting more and more revealed. First on the day of Pentecost, mainly Jewish people And then it started opening up to the Gentiles. And then we have the ministry of the Apostle Paul with further explanation. And then we have the the epistles of Paul written to the churches. And we have the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and 2, the church here and the church there and so forth. That idea of the church being this body of Jews and Gentiles together. It was a mystery in the Old Testament. Even when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, okay, and you read about the prophecy and so forth, Because the rapture of the church has to do with the church. The rapture's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's not there. Now, it is a little bit in John, but remember the Gospel of John was written between 90 and 95 AD. The church had been in existence for over 60 years. Just throw that out there. You might say, I'm kind of confused by that. Well, keep coming because the series we're going to do is going to make it very, very clear. And you'll totally get it. You'll totally get it. And so what do we do? We come to final instructions for fruitful Christian living. Final instructions for fruitful Christian living. You notice here in Romans that the Lord is the one who has the power to establish us or make us stable. You see that in verse 25? This is important to understand. How does he do it, though? Well, there are three aspects to this in the book of Romans. 
Listen, let me say this. Maybe you, a long time ago, you trusted Christ as Savior, and you find yourself unstable as a Christian, okay? How are you trying to become a stable person? Can I ask you that? Is it through drugs? Is it through secular ideas? Is it through this thing or that thing? Can I tell you, friend, there's only one place you can find lifelong stability, and it is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same one who saves a person to begin with is the same one who brings stability into the life of that person. And how do we do that? Well, notice the first issue here is, number one, it is according to the gospel of grace. This is the foundation of a true and successful Christian life. I want you to hold your place here in Romans 16 and go with me to Romans chapter 1. And it says in Romans chapter 1 in verse 16, Paul writes this. Very interesting, this takes place at the beginning of the book. This is mentioned. And it says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that does one thing, believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith, okay? If you want to go to heaven, you simply need to put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what will bring you eternal life. You'll be born again. God will give you a new nature. He'll give you the Holy Spirit inside. He gives you a home in heaven. Now, here's the issue, though. You notice that we are established according to the gospel of grace. Now, understand this, why this is so important. There are people out there preaching today a false gospel, and they will either front load the gospel or they'll back load the gospel. What do I mean by that? Front loading the gospel, it goes this way. Well, you know what? Faith in Christ is good, but that's not enough. You also have to do these other things too if you are going to be saved. So they say it's not by believing, it's by believing plus. Now, the Bible says it's by believing, but people today are preaching, many people are preaching, it's by believing plus, plus good works, plus baptism, plus going to church. Good to go to church. I'm for it. I'm for it. But it won't save you. You could live in this building and it won't save you. Plus keeping the commandments, plus trying to reform your life, plus trying to be good, plus trying to be a good husband, plus trying to be a good wife father, mother, whatever. No, you get saved by believing, by believing. It's not believing plus. If it's believing plus, this by itself is not the same as this and this. They're two different things. How many of you get that? Okay, good. That's important to understand because there's only one gospel that brings salvation. It's the gospel of grace. It's based on grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, a false message that continues, or I'm getting ahead of myself, backloading the gospel. Here's what they say. Oh, it's just by faith, but if you're not doing all these other things, then you really didn't get saved to begin with. What things do I have to do? Now, number one, you don't have to do anything. 
But what things do I have to do? Well, you don't go to heaven by believing and going to church. But if you say you've believed and you're not going to church, then you're not going to heaven. That's backloading. You're not saved by believing in Christ and turning from all your sins because nobody can turn from all their sins. But if you say you believe and you haven't turned from all your sins or you're not trying to turn from all your sins, then you're really not saved. Backloading, backloading. Now listen, friend, you know if you've been with at any time in any of our services and through the study in Romans, you know that we as believers, once we've trusted Christ, should we serve Christ? Yes, yes. But that is not a condition to being saved, staying saved, or proving you're saved. Salvation assurance is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. And that is the foundation, and that is something that can establish us because grace, grace is the great motivator of the Christian life. Now, a false message that continuously makes a person doubt their salvation will establish no one. No one. I hear it all the time now. Oh, no, salvation just by faith alone in Christ alone. But you know what? If you're still thinking that or doing that, now, listen, we would all agree. No, we shouldn't think that and do that. But, but we're still sinners, right? If you're still thinking that or doing that, then you are never saved. You should question your salvation. Let me tell you something. If all you do is live in a constant fear of you not knowing whether you're saved or not and you're questioning your salvation, you are never going to become an established, stable Christian. You are going to live in misery. You're going to live in fear. You're going to live in frustration. Why? Because you don't know whether you're saved or not. Depends on the day according to the way it goes for you. Wouldn't it be nice to know it, and have it settled. And to live in the freedom that for the forgiveness of sins brings. Let me tell you something, friend. If all your sin has been forgiving, then what's going to send you to hell? You can't go to hell and be punished for your sin if you have no sin to be punished for. Look up here. Let me explain it to you this way. This hand representing you and me. Let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are. God says we're all sinners. We would all agree. I am a sinner. It isn't that I have sinned. I still do sin, and I'm not proud of it, but I'm not perfect, and neither are you. God loves us. He hates our sin. Sin separates us from him. You cannot go to heaven with even one sin. Not even one, because heaven's a perfect place. And God says if we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell lost forever in a literal hell. God doesn't want that for any of us. But you see, your sin has to be gone. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say good works will take away the sin. That's what religion teaches. Good works, you do enough good works, that'll take it away. No, no, no. Look over here. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. Watch this. 
because there's nothing I can do to save myself, yet God loves me, hates my sin, but loves me, does not want me to spend forever separated from him. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God. And when Jesus went to the cross, all the sin of your entire lifetime, he came and he died for every one of them. And he made the payment so you don't have to. And he was buried and he rose from the grave. The word gospel means good news. Here's the good news. Jesus did that for you. And all he's asking you to do is to believe in him or trust in him that he made that payment. And when you do, the payment he made is good on your behalf. And he gives you everlasting life. And you go to heaven whenever you die. You receive eternal life the moment you trust Christ. And you can know you're going to heaven because everlasting life doesn't start when you die. Everlasting life begins when you believe. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. Okay. Now, again, a a false message that continuously makes a person, no doubt their salvation will establish no one and it will hinder them from growing in the Lord. See, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is undeserved kindness. Salvation, we don't deserve salvation, but God will give it to us freely if we simply trust in Christ as our Savior. We are not saved by our commitment and perseverance. We are saved through Christ's payment for our sin. It's not our works, it's what he did for us. It's his work. We as believers are to go on, yes, to maturity, Not continually struggling, though, on whether we're saved or not. Think about it. Those of you who've played baseball before, you cannot run around the bases confidently and score if you are still wondering whether you are safe or not at first base. It's going to hinder you. No, it doesn't work that way, okay? You can fly around the bases. If, if you make it the first, you tag first base. And you can, you've got that behind you. You've got the confidence to keep going around the bases. Yes. And you know what? The Christian life, I have the confidence to live the Christian life because I know this. Yes, I may stumble and fall along the way, but all my sins are covered. My chains are gone. I have everlasting life. God has told me I'm justified from all things. And so I can live a life of confidence and I can say, you know what? What the Lord Jesus Christ offers is the best that there is. It's good news. God will give you eternal life if you'll trust in him. I trusted in Christ. He saved me forever. And I want you to be saved forever. Now, you know what? That establishes us. It stabilizes us. It motivates us. Yet you have people say, well... You don't want people to be deceived into thinking they're saved when they're not, do you? No, we don't want them to be deceived. But I'll tell you what, friend, that false gospel you're preaching will never give them any assurance and they'll never be saved by believing a false message. Funny thing, not funny, but it's an interesting thing that when we thoroughly, lovingly, accurately, clearly present the true gospel of grace, the plan of salvation that we find in the scriptures. It's amazing how many people get saved and it's amazing how excited they get because they've understood it, they've trusted Christ and they're saved and they have everlasting life. Look with me to 1 John chapter 5. You see, we're spending a lot of time on this point. The reason is it's the foundation. It is the foundation. If you don't have a right foundation, you can't build on it properly. 
won't hold up. I can remember when we laid the first foundation of this building. Those masons, it's so important that you get it exactly right because if you don't get it exactly right and the building leans, you're going to have problems down the road. It's got to be right. It's got to be exact. Okay? Let's get the gospel right. 1 John 5 and verse 10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Look at verse 12. Simplest verse in the Bible. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Every word is single syllable. If you have the Son, you have life. Have you trusted Christ the Savior? Yes, we have eternal life. Have you not trusted Christ the Savior? Well, I'm still trying. Well, then you don't have eternal life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look what it says, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, I wasn't going to mention this, but I'll mention it. Let me tell you something, friend. 48 years ago today, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I have not regretted one day of being saved. I have rejoiced in the fact that I have everlasting life. All my sins are taken care of. I've got a home in heaven waiting for me. And this is the motivator in a Christian life for me, okay? I want to share this message. It's good news. That's what gospel means. Perfect life? No, not a perfect life. But never an issue of, am I saved or not? No, the fact is when I sin, I know, thank you, Lord, for paying for that sin. And I confess it to him. But my relationship has been a constant ever since that day. Let me ask you this. Do you believe God? By the way, one of the key verses in me getting saved was 1 John 5, 13. See, I was raised in a religion that says you can't know you're going to heaven. I was told by a Catholic priest when I was nine years old, Father, how can I know I'm going to heaven? It'd be good. How good? Just be as good as you can be. How will I know when I've been good enough? He said, you'll know. You'll know. No, you won't. You can't know. Why? Because you got to be perfect to get to heaven. You have to be sinless and know what he is. You can't sin. If you sin, you're disqualified. The good news is Jesus took care of it all on the cross and he offers everlasting life. Think about it. How wonderful is that? When I saw Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and I saw 1 John 5, 13, and I said, you know what? This is against all the religion I've learned my whole life, but I'm going to believe what God says because I know God can't lie. And the moment I did, I was born again. Born again. Saved forever. What a wonderful truth. John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John six forty seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, Jesus said, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. How can you know you're going to heaven? Believe on Christ. Put your faith in him as your savior. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. He does the saving. He does the keeping. All he's asking you to do is believe. See, here's the truth. Only you and God know whether you've trusted Christ alone as savior. 
I know I'm saved because I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior, depending on him and nothing else, because God's word says I'm saved. That's why I know I'm saved, because God's word says I'm saved. I don't know I'm saved by the way I live, because some days you live better than others, right? You can't base your eternity on that. I know I'm saved because of the promise of God. God who cannot lie, who does the saving and keeping, he promised it. Okay, let's go back to our outline. So final instructions, how do we get established? Well, it is according to the gospel of grace. That is our foundation. Secondly, is through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Through the preaching of Jesus Christ. As believers, we need to understand that he is completely 100% sufficient to meet all and every need. Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware, lest any man spoil you or take you captive through philosophy and vain deceit, empty lies. That's what vain deceit means. Vain means empty. Deceit is a lie. Don't believe empty lies. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. Look at that. Which is the head of all principality and power. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily and you are complete in him. The word fullness and the word complete, same root Greek word. Just like Jesus in him is the fullness of the Godhead, we have everything. We have all the fullness in Jesus Christ that we need. And so it is a matter of walking with him daily to where we get established and we grow. Paul says in chapter 3 of Colossians, when Christ who is our life shall appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. See, the Lord can transform our attitudes. He can transform our families. He can transform our marriages. He can transform us. I don't know what else to say. But it is us wanting that and pursuing that, which leads us to our third point here. It is through a daily surrender and obedience to the scripture. Again, what made the Roman church a good church? Their obedience. Christian, what makes us effective and stable and fruitful as Christians? It's so obedient. And it's obedience to what? It isn't just some kind of, it's not a feeling thing. Well, I just want to, I just want to praise the Lord. Well, I want to praise the Lord too, but what, number one, what does even that mean? What do you mean? I want to praise the Lord. Well, you know, I just kind of get feeling emotional. Well, it's good that we feel emotional about the Lord, but are you going to serve the Lord when you don't feel emotional? Are you going to do right when you don't feel emotional? There's got to be something outside of that that brings a greater stability. And that is the word of God will bring that into the life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. Look at this next phrase. That the man of God, or the, even the woman of God, the man of God may be perfect. And that word means complete or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, okay? God's word is what raises us up and matures us and grows us as believers. Now, when we trust and obey, we experience the power to change and we can grow as Christians. And if you honestly want to get out of your hole 
as a person, the Lord can do that for you and for me. I say, well, you're talking to lost people. I'm talking to lost people, but I'm also talking about saved people. There are a lot of Christians who are living miserable lives, miserable lives. They're so wrapped up in the things of the world. They may even have good intention, but they have become in bondage to the issues of life. And their life is really not being used of God the way he wants to use it. Friend, you can break free of that. Surrender to the Lord. Lord, whatever you want for me, I'll do it. And then obedience to the scripture. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. That's how it works. Back to Romans 16 and verse 26. Now we'll couple this with uh, verse 25. Verse 25, Romans 16 says in verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Okay, the church age was a secret. Verse 26, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. This is key. Notice it is now made manifest, okay? It made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. The scriptures are what the Lord, it's the way that God is made known to the world. It is through the scriptures. This is why we need to have a strong emphasis on scripture in our churches. This is what, folks, the majority of the church service should be us learning the word of God. That should be the majority. You might say, well, that's not really worship. It is worship. If we are there with a humble, teachable, sweet attitude towards God, it's part of our worship. It is part of our worship. The obedience of faith here means to believe the gospel. That's what he's getting at. According to Romans 10, 16, talks about obeying the gospel. How do you obey the gospel? Through faith, through trusting in Christ as Savior. Now you notice... It says, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for obedience to the faith. In other words, the gospel is made known to the nations, and what does God want them to do? Believe. That's how you obey the gospel, is by believing the gospel. I love the simplicity in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer. Okay, they had been singing praises. Imagine they're in jail. I bet the Philippian jailer, I bet everybody in jail heard so many Christian songs, they were probably, if they weren't open to it, they were probably going crazy. By the way, I'm, I'm kind of getting, I'll try to make this very brief. I've been thinking recently about this, the world in which we live in the secular music, and even some of the secular music that is, it's not evil in itself. It's just talking about human experience and so forth. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about immorality or any of that. But even then you get into the pop music and so forth, and these people are singing about all these human things and all that. Imagine how bizarre it sounds to them to hear Christian music. Now just think about that. We are singing about something they have no concept of. They don't understand it. We're singing about God? We're singing about him loving us, saving us, leading us and guiding us. They can't see this one we're singing about, and yet we are singing heartfelt songs to this one they can't see. 
you imagine how bizarre that is to the world in which we live? But yet how wonderful it is to the God that we serve. See, this world is bankrupt. Verse 27. Well, I I was talking about the Philippian jailer. Earthquake came, the doors flew open. He was scared to death. He ran up to Paul and Silas. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They looked him right in the eye and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. That's it, believe. Not, oh jailer, you've got a terrible past. You're, You're a Roman jailer. You're a a jailer here at Philippi. You've got a terrible past. You need to quit your occupation and go into the ministry if you really want to be saved. No, no, believe. You'll be saved. And by the way, he was. Back to Romans 16 and verse 27, it says this, to God only wise. Wow. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Listen, friend. Who is the only wise God? It is the God that we worship. It is the God of the Bible. It is the God who has saved us forever. It is the God we will live with for all eternity and give him all the praise and all the worship forever and ever and ever. I believe with all my heart, Jesus Christ will be the focus of our existence in eternity. Listen, I love the idea of of dying. Well, not dying, but I love the idea of going home to be with the Lord. And when we go there, our loved ones who are saved, we're going to go there and we're going to see them and and all of that. And that's, that's wonderful. There will be that reunion. But the capture of our being will be Jesus. Do we understand? That is the thing that will be the most important for us, is Jesus. From beginning to end, the righteousness of God is the issue. Now, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I urge you to put your faith in him right now, today, as your Savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.